0: You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org. Good morning. If you are a guest, we just want to welcome you. We are so glad that you joined us. Um, Whether you're watching online, maybe you're checking us out before you decide to come and visit in person, we just want you to know that we are a people that love God Um, deeply. And we love Christ passionately. And we believe that our role is to bring Christ's hope and help and and healing to this broken um, and sin-infested world. And we also believe that we're to be a people of the book. We, We believe that the church has been left a field manual on exactly how we are to live our lives, how we can know God, and how we can serve him and follow him and embrace his way of doing life when all of those around us are doing it another way. We believe the Bible is God's inerrant and infallible truth that we put into practice by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here and this is your first time visiting, we want you to know a little bit about ourselves. Our gathering together on Sunday morning includes prayers and announcements. It includes scripture. It it includes worship through song. And it always includes a time in God's word. And I'm so excited uh, about the the study of the book of James. I'm excited for you because as you can tell this morning, one of the things that's always true about summertime is people don't come to church. They go on vacation, they go to the lake, uh, they, it's been raining all week, and there's one, One. it, it always works this way, there's one four-hour block of dryness on Sunday morning when you can mow your lawn, and you know, we have all kinds of reasons uh, that we may not come. And so doing a long series through a whole book could be very difficult, but the book of James really lends itself lends itself to a a study like this in a time where you might be in and out just a little bit. And we'll explain that more as we go on. But it's all about putting our faith in action. As you saw from the bumper video, James is all about the idea of not being the Christian who sits in church, listens to sermons, listens to Christian talk radio, maybe even plays K-Love 24-7, or 88.5, and then behaves in a manner that looks like the other people of the world. James is all about the reality that our faith should work itself out into the lifestyles that you and I have. True faith results in living out that faith, using God's word as our compass in the midst of this world. You know, one of the favorite series of books um, uh, that I like is the Chronicles of Narnia. And, you know, it's a fascinating tale for children that was kind of written as a fantasy story that tells the world of Narnia, which is a world of magic and mythical beasts and talking animals. And it, it centers on, on four children, Lucy and Susan and Peter and Edmund and their journeys and adventures uh, with the wicked queen and Aslan the lion. And the books are beautiful stories um, weaving together these adventures. And, and what, what you find out at some point is that this is an allegory and that the author is C.S. Lewis, the famed apologist. And he has written these children books coming out of the World War when he had children staying with him because their parents were at battle. And he writes these books as an allegory to help them grasp the bigger picture of the Christian world and have a better understanding of who could be their savior, Jesus Christ, who's represented by Aslan the lion. And so, believe it or not, to interpret the allegory of Narnia, you have to understand the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Believe it or not, authorship matters not just in helping to understand a Christian allegory, but it really matters when it comes to understanding the books of the Bible. Every single one of the 66 books of our Bible uh, was inspired by God. But God used human authors to capture and record, integrating their personality and life circumstances and cultural moments in history to convey his truth, to convey his principles, to convey his commands and his promises. And so he had them capture the information that you and I needed to be informed about and equipped with so that we could live the life we need to live in the world in which we find ourselves SO GOD USED THEIR PERSONALITY, HE USED THEIR CHARACTER, HE USED THEIR MOMENT IN HISTORY, HE USED THEIR CULTURE, HE USED THEIR VARIOUS LANGUAGES. HE DID ALL OF THIS SO THAT YOU AND I WOULD HAVE A FIELD MANUAL. AND THE BOOK OF JAMES IS ONE OF THOSE BOOKS THAT'S EMINENTLY PRACTICAL AND HELPS US TO LEARN HOW TO PUT THE LIVING WORD OF CHRIST, THE WRITTEN WORD OF CHRIST, INTO PRACTICE IN OUR LIVES. I've said this before, I'll just say it again. The Bible is the written word of God. It's fully human and it's fully divine. Just like Jesus Christ is the living word of God who is fully human and fully divine. And we don't see any problem with either one of those. They're held in perfect balance. And so we come to the book of James this morning. And we want to start by looking at James chapter 1, verse 1. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. We're going to anchor there. We're going to have a couple of other uh, passages in the book of Acts and the book of Mark we'll look at, and then we'll have a, a couple of passages throughout the book of James at the end of our time that we're going to look at. But I, I just want to give an introduction, an overview to the book of James this morning. And the first thing that we want to do is just look at how James presents itself Who the author is and who he's writing to so it starts this way james a servant of god and of the lord jesus christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings so notice that the first thing uh, that james does is he identifies himself That's why the book's given the title after the author. Uh, Many books are given the title of the prophet or they're given the title to the location in which an apostle or a prophet was writing. James, and he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a minute, we're going to look at um, the various Jameses in the New Testament and decide which one uh, is most likely, really highly probably likely, the author of this work. But I want you to notice how he describes himself to begin with. He, he marks himself as a servant, a bond slave, someone who belongs to another in their service. And then he uses the titles Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word that refers to the idea that he is a savior. Christ is the title that refers to the fact that he's the long promised Messiah. And Lord or sovereign one is a title that refers to the reality that he is the king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he's, he's making a very strong opening reference to who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and who he is. He is a man in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, if I had to ask you, does that sound Jewish or Greek? What would you tell me? Jewish. Jewish. And so... Many of us have a a little understanding of the biblical history of the people of Israel and that through their time, um, from beginning to when God left them out of Egypt until we come to the Roman world, that they were taken into captivity by Babylon in Assyria, and then they come back to the land, and then through other conquests, they're completely dispersed throughout the Roman world. So when James is writing this letter... The Jews that had found their Messiah, the followers of Jesus who came from Jewish backgrounds, they are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And so he's writing predominantly to the Jews who were spread out around the Roman Empire, just like Paul, who wrote predominantly to the Gentiles who were spread throughout the Roman Empire but he uses language that would be familiar to them, the diaspora, the dispersion. And so he's writing to those Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So since authorship matters, we've got to ask the question, which James is this? Who is James, the author of the epistle that you and I are about to study? And so just so you 'll know uh, the word James used for a name is used forty three times, I think in thirty nine verses in the New Testament, and the, we can clearly identify at the at the time of uh, the writing of the book of James four James that were around that time, and four uh, distinct and different persons named James, and we have to decide. Which one is the best one? So I'm just going to kind of walk you through, like if you were doing this, how would you make this decision? How would you decide which one of these Jameses is the James who wrote the book that we are about to study? So if you've got your Bibles now, flip over to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, we, we have the account of Jesus um, Uh, Giving a last charge to his disciples that they are to be his witnesses in in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven and the angels basically tell them, don't stand here and do nothing, get after it. And it's after that moment that the 120 um, living followers that had survived the death and crucifixion and been fortified before the ascension of Jesus, they're gathered together in an upper room to pray. And in Acts chapter 1, we read about who's there. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his, Jesus's, brothers. So as we read this passage, we realize they've come together. And later on in that passage tells us there's about 120 of them that have gathered um, for this moment to pray as they wait for uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifested and and for them to, to begin the mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I just want to walk through this, and I want to point out the four Jameses that are in this passage, okay? The first James is right here. If my pencil will connect. There we go. It's The first James. You remember how James and John were brothers and how James and John, and who remembers what the third guy is? That's kind of Jesus' inner core. Peter. He's mentioned right there. So you got Peter and John and James and Andrew. They were all related to one another. So that's, that's the first James that we have is one of the apostles. The second one Is James the son? This is going to get really annoying. I wonder if I use. Can I use my finger? I can't. We're going to just do fingers today. Okay, James the son of Alphaeus. And I I want you um, to just notice here that he's one of the other apostles that's in the list of the apostles, I think, five different times in the Gospels. And then nothing else is said about him in the Scriptures or really historically. And then Simon the Zealot and then Judas. Okay, Now, this is not Judas Iscariot because they were distinguished each other. One was called Judas Iscariot and the other was called Judas the Son of of James. So, our third option uh, of people alive at this time gathered together with the early church after the death, crucifixion, and ascension of Jesus Christ is James, who is the father of Judas, one of the apostles. All these were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And that's the fourth James. Do you see the fourth James in our passage? His brothers. See, if you and I go back, if we are a little bit more fluent in our remembering of Scripture, we would go back to the Gospels and we would find in various places where the list of Jesus's brothers are given to us. For example in Mark chapter 6 verse 3 they say is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and, and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? In other words when Jesus was doing all these amazing things they're like isn't this the guy who grew up around here? How can he be someone special. And so you'll notice our fourth option, I got to remember not to use the pencil, is James, um, the brother of Jesus. And we have to decide which four of these makes the most sense to be the author of James. Let me tell you why this matters, okay? First of all, it, it matters because it helps us to understand the timing of the letter the culture of the letter, the author and his life circumstances of the letter, where he came from, what his journey was like, and how it might be conveyed in understanding the letter. Now, we can read the letter without that information, but, you know, how much more fun would it be to sit down, give a a copy of the Chronicles of Narnia to C.S. Lewis, have him read and say, Stop! Tell me what you were thinking when you wrote that. And that's the idea behind discovering which James is the author. So there's four of them listed in the passage we just read in Acts chapter 1, 13, and 14. And I just want to begin to eliminate them. And the first one we're going to eliminate is James, the son of Zebedee. We can do this very easily because in Acts chapter 12, James, the son of Zebedee, is martyred for his faith, and he's not around to write an apostolic work like the book of James. James is one of the earlier books in the New Testament, but it's dated after 44 AD when James was martyred, was killed uh, for being a follower of Jesus. The second is James, the son of Alphaeus, and I, I think we can eliminate him just from the reality that he was not Someone who was extremely prominent, even though he was one of the apostles. And there isn't much about him. Um, There aren't many details. There's nothing really of substance in church history that accentuates the reality of a strong and bold presence as a leader of the church. And so while he may have been a very faithful man, uh, he was not someone who would have conveyed the things that took place in the book of James. The father of Judas, that James, is not an apostle. He's not a leader in the early church. He's not known for that. So writing a circular letter to go throughout all the churches of a portion of the world and conveying your authority and status just by your name, James. We have to make a decision which James that was, and it obviously makes the most sense that this James was the brother of Jesus. And so let me just give you some reasons why that would make sense for you and I. First, you know, the best option um, is James, the brother of Jesus, who grew up with Jesus. And we know uh, in Galatians, I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the first person that, that says that Jesus appeared to James and then the apostles... And so in John chapter 7, we know that James was not a follower or a believer in Jesus when Jesus started his public ministry. He and his brothers were against them. As a matter of fact, they actually tried to set Jesus up to get murdered in Jerusalem. They did not have a good relationship. You ever heard of sibling rivalry? We'll we'll come back to that in a minute. And, And yet, we know that in the book of Galatians, when Paul comes to Christ through a revelation of Jesus Christ himself, he does two things. One, he goes to talk to Peter. And then two, he goes and talks to James, the brother of Jesus, who is now the leader of the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15, when the Jerusalem Council takes place, to to discuss what to do uh, with Jews coming to faith, whether they have to practice the law or not. It's presided over by James, the brother of Jesus. And he's become the noted leader of the early church by this time. So it makes the most sense that he would be the one who is writing this. Not only that, but the early church fathers, Origen, Eusebius... Athanasius, Augustine, they all, <coughs> they all uh, testified to the reality that the one who wrote the book of James was James, uh, the brother of Jesus. Now, let's just, let's just pause for a minute. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' brothers wrote two books in the New Testament? Who knows what the other brother's book is in the New Testament? Shout it out. Huh? Jude Jude is correct. And neither brother throws down the brother card. Neither one of them feel like they need to testify to the reality that they are the brother of Jesus. They need to testify to the reality they are a servant of Jesus. And I want you to think about how far that, that sibling rivalry had gone. I, just go back in your own lives. Think about this for a minute. Just, you, just how many of you have a brother or sister? Okay. I want to know how many of you were the good ones. How many of you had a brother or sister that was the good one? That your parents always compared you to? You guys know what I'm talking about? You were compared to another flawed individual. Can you imagine Mary... Comparing James to Jesus Why can't you be more like your brother? He's always so kind and helpful. He never gets into trouble James, what's the matter with you? You have a lot you could learn from Jesus I mean, can you imagine all of that going on? No wonder he had hostility and bitterness and resentment maybe towards his brother because it was true, and he didn't want to admit it. And so it's amazing the turnaround that happened in James's life from moving to a guy who wanted his brother dead to a guy who calls himself his brother's servant, who calls his brother Lord. calls his brother jesus who calls his brother christ if there is ever a great example of the reality of who jesus is it's the reality that his brothers recognized it and attested to it so what can we learn from James, the book of James, and the person of James about faith at work? We chose that subtitle, like I said, because of James chapter 1, verse 22, the idea that we can't just hear things and call ourselves a Christian. We can't just give intellectual assent to some set of doctrine and call ourselves a Christian. No, a Christian Is the person who puts that body of intellectual faith, the ascent to doctrines and truths, and puts it into action, whose heart is shaped and changed by it, whose hands and feet feet, I guess, not plural, put it into action. So let me give you four things we can learn from James. Number one, we can learn from James that when our faith is at work, our faith works. I know that's very simple but here's the reality when you walk by faith your faith will get you through whatever you're going through you know it's one of the things i've had people ask me all the time they go mike okay so if i really throw all in with jesus if i really surrender to jesus are you telling me it's going to work that i'm not just going to be a a better me of who I already am, that I'm actually going to be a new me, a better me, a different me? And the answer is an absolute yes. And James is the proof of a guy who went from a bitter skeptic to a courageous and bold leader. And the faith that is presented in the book of James is not an intellectual assent to doctrinal truth. He's not about Can you recite the creed? He's about, can you be steadfast under trials? Can you hold your tongue in an argument? Can you show equality to all people? Or do you favor some? Do you love the hard to love? Or do you only love the easy to love? And all through the book, he's going to challenge us with perceptions of the way we should live as the result of having Christ deep in our hearts. James chapter 2 is a a turning point for understanding James's picture of faith. And in this chapter 2 beginning, I think it's in verse 14 and through the end of the chapter, he argues for this idea that faith has to work itself out or it's dead faith. Faith has to work itself out or it's useless faith. And he'll even go so far as saying, the demons have that kind of faith. They believe God is real. They believe Jesus died and and was crucified and resurrected. They know all those things, but it doesn't change the way they live. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, to be shown That faith apart from itself working itself out into the way you live, that faith, that intellectual ascent isn't really faith, it's useless. Faith without the evidence of transformation isn't really faith. So if you're one of those people, you're here this morning, you're having a struggle of moving the doctrine beliefs that you hold into a a, a passionate conviction of the heart so that it works itself out to your hand and your feet, then I want to tell you the book of James is for you. He's going to coach you into putting your faith into practice. Second, James will teach us that when our faith is at work we will learn christ-sized love you remember the teaching of jesus the hallmark attribute he said would be true of his followers is they would be known for their love of one another jesus went so far as, as to say that the whole world is going to know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another the ability to forge a deep bond with people of a different generation of a different color of skin, of a different economic background, people who have a different educational background, people who might be left, people who might be right, that your love, your unconditional, loyal love for one another is going to awaken to the world, to the reality that I exist, because there's no other way to explain that kind of love. But then we look at reality and in the church we're segregated and we place special favor on some people and less favor on other people. And James tells us in chapter 2, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, this is where Jesus says that we not only love one another, we love our enemy. And so Christ-sized love that's unconditional, that goes out of its way is one of the hallmark attributes of a person of faith. And James is going to call us to do that. I mean, here's a guy who grew up with jealousy and rivalry and then he was saved and he basked in the love of his Savior who happened to be his brother and then he became one who didn't love based on behavior but he loved because he had been loved and poured into his heart was an infinite amount of unconditional love empowered by the Holy Spirit that could be poured out on others even the ones the world didn't see fit to be a part of special clubs. So if you're running low on love, if you measure people, if you think more highly of certain people with status, then James is the book for you. He's going to call you into a different perspective of love. Third, when James teaches us when our faith is at work, we are changed by God. Like, we are transformed. We not only become new in our status with God in heaven, we now have faith that works its way out in the way that we live, and we can be new people by behavior. The other places in the New Testament, the picture is taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. I mean, we all want to be more like Jesus, think more like Jesus. Feel more like Jesus. Act more like Jesus. We all want to put our faith into practice in our daily lives, in the easy and in the hard moments of our days. And we have to learn how to forgive rather than take revenge, how to love rather than hate, how to have self-control rather than to rant, how to give grace rather than demean others. You know, James is a book about holiness and maturity and the way that it demonstrates itself in the lives of the believers of Jesus. And one of the things he's going to talk about is one that if I had to guess what Sunday the church will be empty, it's when we get to James chapter 3 about the tongue. One of the most difficult things to control is the tongue. I mean, how many of us have already blown it this morning? James is going to talk about how a true follower of Jesus is going to be someone whose speech changes. It's demonstrated in the way they talk, in what they say and don't say, in how they say it. 3, 10 and 11 in the book of James says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing? My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring... Pour forth from the same opening fresh spring water and undrinkable salt water. It shouldn't be that way. So if you're a person who struggles with your tongue, show up on the weeks (laughs) we talk about the tongue. Those are going to be weeks that are eminently practical. And will challenge us to learn how to put our faith at work in controlling our tongue. And then, fourth, James teaches us when our faith is at work, we grow in endurance. You know, one of the things that in my years, uh, you know, almost um, four and a half decades of following Jesus, you know, one of the things I see and have watched is the trail of people who've quit, who've thrown in the towel, who've given up, who stop pressing in, who just say it's too hard. It's not worth it. They're not steadfast. They don't have perseverance. They don't endure. They don't take the long view. They get sucked in to the middle of the problems of the moment or the trials or the tribulations or the troubles. And Jesus warned us that, man. He said, look, in this world, you're going to have it. You're going to get it. It ain't going to be pretty. And because you then claim to be with me, you not only get all of that, you get persecution because you belong to me. You get suffering because you belong to me. You will be attacked. You will be maligned. You will be persecuted. You will experience sorrow, suffering, trouble, tribulation. Did you know you signed up for all that? What James is going to tell us is those things are actually the ways in which we can be shaped to be more like Jesus than any other, because even Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Even Jesus, who did nothing wrong, was persecuted, crucified, and died. So if you're someone that struggles with endurance, with perseverance, with someone who's steadfast and courageous, someone who's unwavering, when everything around you feels like shockingly large waves trying to rock your life. James is the book for you. You also, he says in chapter 5, verse 8, be patient. That's a nice way of saying, suck it up and let's get on with it. (laughs) But he doesn't say it that way. He says it more kindly. He says, be patient, establish your hearts. By the way, James, if I, 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 whatever, I can't remember how many verses are in James, but for every two verses in James, there is at least one strong command. Exhortation right here. Be patient is one. Establish your hearts. Whose job is it to establish your heart by faith? It's yours. It's mine. Why are we doing it? Because we're waiting for the coming of the Lord and he is coming and he's going to make it all good. Have an Amen. But you know what? He says, be patient there. Then do you know who he uses as an example in the book of James of patience? Job. Who lost his family. Job. Who lost his wealth. Job. Who lost his health and refused to throw in the towel. Be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at a hand. From James, we can learn about a faith that really works, about a love that is Christ-sized, about life change that is real and tangible and can be observed, and how we can endure in life's greatest trials and struggles. This week... I want you to just take the book of James. Just read through it. And as you read through it, just write down the topics. Or as you listen to it on a drive, uh, maybe make note in your head of the topics. And then I want you to look at that list or review those topics. And I I want you to think about the two or three things that really resonate with you and the needs you have in your life. And then I want you to double down on the book of James and what it can do for you this summer. As you become more mature, more holy, and more like Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the book of James. We thank you for James and the example he is to us in the church. God, we ask that you would help us to live fully committed lives to you. That we would put our faith to work, Lord. That we would not be... A people that just have the intellectual truths memorized, but we've embraced living out the commands. We're claiming the promises. We're being patient until the coming of Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.